Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Excellent. Good. Uh, I often don't need a microphone, uh, but uh, well, good. So, uh, yeah, and obviously I'm aware that it, uh, it has been quite a while since I've been uh, up here. Uh, I'm sure there were good reasons for that. Uh, they may become clear as we're going along. Um, although I think the last time I was up, um, I got to speak on Isaac being sacrificed by Abraham. On the same day that we were dedicating a baby called Isaac. So it was like, you know, my job was to completely traumatise the parents. Uh, now, hopefully that won't happen uh, today, but this is an interesting passage, as you will describe. Now, I hope none of you uh, are feeling too queasy or unwell or are looking forward to your lunch. Um, but the reason for me saying that will probably become clear as we're going along. Um, so could I ask us to, uh, to put the first, uh, the first slide up, the title slide. This is a story of Ehud, the sinister assassin and judge. And hopefully that will be clearer by the end of, of uh, this talk. But first of all, just very quickly to say, well, well who am I? Because uh, I am, appreciate many of you may not know who I am. Well, recently I was reminded that uh, I'm the old guy. Uh, my wife Hilary and I bumped into uh, a, a chap from church uh, and while she chatted to him, uh, I, uh, as I often do, ended up playing with his children. And uh, they looked at me and they said, can you, can you bend down? And I bent down. And then, Why have you got no hair? <laughs> the darling said to me. Um, and I thought for a moment, I said, well, it's because I'm getting old. Uh, and you know what? I'm really good with that. It's great. It's a lovely time of life. Uh, and I'm enjoying it, and I'm very happy with that. I have three adult children um, who don't keep sponging off me all the time, so that's great. Um, and I'm married to Hilary, uh, who many of you will know. Um, I've also been very fortunate to travel in the Far East uh, to places like Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, Thailand. Sorry, never made it to Hong Kong, guys, uh, for those of you from Hong Kong. Um, but I've noticed that my name uh, in these countries is often translated as Lane rather than Ian. Um, and it's pr proved actually to be quite a good thing in Vietnam because uh, I discovered why everybody kept laughing when I said my name. Because apparently in Vietnamese it means wet, slippery eel. <laughs> <clears throat> so I will quite happily answer to either Ian or Lane. Uh, I really don't mind. There are type notes of the sermon available. Um, and because I'm uh, speaking in Scots, there is a translation into English as well as Cantonese uh, if you need it. Um, so, um, and the more observant of you may have noticed there's quite a pile of notes here. Fear not. 
Uh, one of the other things, obviously, with the ageing process is that your eyesight starts to go a little. I have very large type, uh, so don't worry, there's not, uh, there's not too many notes. <coughs> now, I don't want to get into complaining, but I am going to complain. What a passage I have been given. Uh, we're talking about judges. I could have had Deborah, Gideon, Samuel, no, I got Ehud. I'll be perfectly honest, I had never heard of him until I was given this passage. But this story, as you will discover, is a bit stomach-churning, violent, and maybe slightly disturbing for us as Christians. It's certainly never featured in my children's Bible stories. Uh, so, uh, so how on earth did I get this passage? Well, I can just visualize the leadership team discussion. It's very important to do the difficult passages in the Bible, isn't it? Yes, yes, says everybody. But oh dear, suddenly everyone is unavailable for Ehud week. <laughs> now, my sources have disclosed who picked this passage, so I am going to go and find them and forgive them. Uh, so, uh, enough of my moaning. Um, let's read uh, and listen together to this passage. It's Judges 3, verses 12 to 30. It'll be coming up on the screen uh, in a moment. Uh, buckle up. Here we go. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because, of, because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel, getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him. Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man the son of Gera the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, and he strapped it to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your Majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, Leave us. And they all left. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace and said, I have a message from God for you. And as the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade, and his bowels discharged. Ehud did not pull out the sword, and the fat closed in over it. Then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. And after he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said, he must be relieving himself 
in the inner room of the palace. They waited to the point of embarrassment. But when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them. There they saw their Lord fallen to the floor, dead. While they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by the stone images and escaped to Sarah. When he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went down with him from the hills, with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab your enemy into your hands. So they followed him down and took possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab. They allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. Not one escaped. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel and the land had peace for 80 years. Now, uh, hopefully it'll come up on the screen, uh, a picture, a little representation. Can I say that is one of the less graphic images that I found, as you can imagine from the story. Um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take it down now. I don't think there's any need for us to uh, look. But just quite a shocking story. And this is a story of a sinister, devious, misleading judge. And he's the good guy. How do we know he's sinister? Well, he's left-handed. And it's interesting, isn't it, that the passage actually mentions left-handed. Now, I had to do Latin at school basically because I was rubbish at woodwork and metalwork and crafts, and that was the only other alternative subject. Um, but it's, uh, <clears throat> it, it has lots of uses, um, apart from annoying my wife when I say, of course, that word, it's from the Latin. Um, and I can often tell where those words come from. Sinistra, in Latin, the word we have for sinister bit dodgy, bit risky, someone who's not uh, a, a good individual. In Latin, means left or left side or left-handed. Being left-handed in many cultures at that time was seen as, well, probably at best a flaw or a disability, but at worst, actually a sign almost of malevolent evil or bad character. So if you were left-handed, you were a bit suspect. Now I happen to be left-handed. <laughs> it becomes clear why I got given this sermon. <clears throat> now I'm not feeling picked on or at all defensive. Well, I am actually. Um, but here's a quick list of famous lefties. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci, Beethoven, Mozart, Tesla, John F. Kennedy, Barack Obama, Franz Kafka, Mara Teresa, Oprah Winfrey, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and most importantly of all, my mum, <laughs> for whom I have inherited my left-handedness. And if you think being left-handed in a problem was a cultural thing that died out centuries ago, my mum was part of a generation who was forced to learn how to write right-handed and had to learn to do everything as a right-hander would um, because 
uh, it would just be a bit too much of a problem if you were a lefty. Um, or, as I discovered from my, my wife, um, if any of you have ever heard of the phrase cack-handed, that comes from the Greek word for leftist. So I can now add, this comes from the Greek, to my uh, thing about this comes from the Latin. But anyway, enough of that. So what is this story unfolding for us? Well, Pastor Poy last week introduced us to the book of Judges and the broad themes of what it's about. It's a story of God's people going through endless cycles of rebellion, repentance and restoration. Of them eventually crying out to God and being brought back to God, usually by a judge. So the backdrop, interestingly, of today's story is that the Israelites have been able to enter the promised land. God had promised them something amazing and he had given it to them. And yet, within a short period of time, they get sucked into worshipping the idols and indulging in the practices of the world around them, of the land that they had entered And as a result, Israel ends up being taken over by Eglon, king of Moab. And they suffer. And then eventually, as becomes the cycle that we see in this book of Judges, they cry out to God again and enter Ehud. Now I think some of the references that are there uh, and descriptions of Ehud are, are important. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. Why are we told that? Well, Benjamin was the least of the tribes. They weren't really amounting to very much. And yet, Ehud is from Benjamin. He was left-handed. He was probably left-handed because of a phys physical disability to his right hand. Because really, you, you would not, you could not choose to be left-handed. So it was probably something pretty profound. Uh, and he probably had a physical disability. And yet, this is the individual that God chooses to deliver his plan. So Ehud straps a sword to his right leg. Because, of course, as a left-hander, you would draw it like that. Something that the guards would not check for. Because, of course, everybody was right-handed. I don't know how much churning he was doing inside, but the story kind of gives a sense of someone who is incredibly calm. He's giving the tribute to the king, whatever that was, money or animals, and he thought, that would be my chance to kill him, and that chance doesn't come. So... He comes up with plan B. And plan B is to go back to the king and say, I've got a secret, but it's just for you. And he hooks him. And he gets him alone. Who takes his chance in the, in the inner chamber. And the, the language in most of our translations is, is interesting. But basically, that's the toilet. Okay, so 
if we can sort of visualize, you know, when it says he's getting up from the sea, I'll, 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 I'll let you take that as far as you want to sort of take it. Um, but Eglon uh, is so fat, the sword disappears and punctures his stomach and his bowels. Now, we'll not dwell on this for too long, but let's not kind of gloss over the fact that, you know, Ehud, he was at close quarters. He was right beside this guy. So you can work out for yourself what he must have been standing in. Oh, like I say, I hope you're not looking forward to a nice lunch. The smell must have been awful. But Eglon's servants assume that he is on the toilet. And this gives Ehud his chance to escape. So enough of the story. I think we've dwelt quite enough uh, on the goriness. What can this teach us? What can we draw from this? Well, is the message, beware a left-handed man who wants to meet you in your bathroom? (laughs) I don't think so. Is it that God calls us to eliminate all evil despotic leaders and I'm now about to hand out cubit long swords and we're all about to march out the door and find anyone who we consider to be evil and eliminate them? I don't think so. Um, I think Poi last week um, very helpfully uh, reminded us that context of actions can be very, very important. God, at that place, at that time, had a particular plan that had to be delivered in a certain way. But that's not a formula for how we should act in every situation. But I think there are some important principles and some important lessons um, that we can look at. Many of the messages that we're going to come to are, are familiar Um, and others are clear, if a little uncomfortable to deal with. So um, if we can bring up uh, uh, the first bullet point. God uses the flawed and the imperfect. God often uses people that the world views as weak, or inferior. Being left-handed was viewed as a disability, a weakness, a sign of inferiority. Ehud was a Benjamite. But let's just listen to 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 28, and it will come up on the screen in a moment. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. 
That's us. That's you and me. I'm often amazed that God uses me with my lack of faith and spirituality. And I'm not just saying that as some sort of false humility uh, because I'm up here and up front and it sounds like the right thing to say. Um, I have always struggled all my life with what feels like more lows than highs uh, in my faith, not being as spiritual as others or as evangelistic as others or as committed as others. But I know, and obviously in my case, I can look back on decades, um, that God has used me and continues to use me in many, many different ways. And he will use you too. What he wants is a willing heart. It's, we don't get told what Ehud felt when he was called to be a judge. But there may have been moments of sheer blind panic. He cannot possibly have been calm in that situation. Now, God may not place you in that extreme situation he was in. But he will use you. And he wants to. I'd also like to say a word for those of you who have had maybe uh, unhelpful or frankly horrible or nasty things spoken over you or to you. And they are a burden that you carry, maybe even now, and it may have been for a very long time. You might have been told you're useless or won't amount to much or you're unimportant. That is not how God sees you. The creator of heaven and earth, our heavenly father, he loves you and you are his precious child. And so maybe today is an opportunity for you to get release from that that is maybe weighing you down like a millstone. Because you are part of his plan and you are part of his kingdom and his family. And it may feel like a small part that you have to play, but he wants you to play it. And we need you to play it because we are one body, but many parts. And that is how God works. And Paul reminds us that a group of very inferior, bumbling, uneducated, not so great, very flawed, very up and down individuals turned it on its head because they were open and willing to be used by God and followed the prompting of his spirit. Second thing, God uses events or people that may surprise or shock us. Um, you know, what we read is the sort of thing that we probably tend to gloss over. Most of us uh, are very happy uh, to read the Psalms or Proverbs or some of those nicer Old Testament stories um, that we did as children, but it's all there. Um, and the uncomfortable thing is 
God may use circumstances or events that don't quite fit with our version of Christianity or maybe the Christianity that we've inherited from decades and centuries of being a certain way. And it can challenge us. So when God says in Isaiah, my ways are not your ways, sometimes that can be extremely challenging. And we also need to recognize that God can bring good even from wrong actions or wrong motives. That can sometimes be from Christians, but from non-Christians as well. I have to say, for a very brief moment yesterday, as I watched the news unfold yesterday evening, of the head of the Wagner Group getting ready to invade Moscow, I thought, is this some crazy thing where this evil, evil man, because the head of the Wagner Group is an evil, evil man, but is God going to use him in some way here to bring an end to a, a conflict? Now, that may or may not work out, but it's just a recognition that sometimes God in his sovereign will can bring good out of evil. Third thing, just for us to think about. God can do amazing things through one person. And to quote the National Lottery, which is not something I normally do, it could be you. <laughs> and God can do amazing things to a single, single inferior person. Ehud was flawed. God accepts us with the good in us, but with the flaws in us as well. And he is willing to pick us up again and again and set us back on the path. And if we are willing to be used, as Ehud was, amazing things can happen. We see right at the end of the passage that basically Ehud and the Israelites won a victory that brought almost two generations of peace to the people of Israel. And that all started with his one single brave act. Fourthly, a reminder for leaders, be humble and discerning. Eglon let his pride get the better of him and overconfidence. He thought he was untouchable, sent all the servants away. I am indestructible. Maybe more importantly, in a broader lesson for us, he let his guard down. And there are dangers all around us. And for those of us as leaders, um, maybe it's not so much about being arrogant like uh, <clears throat> Eglon, but about letting our guard down. The enemy can attack from any place. And for those of us who are not in leadership, I think it's an important reminder for us to pray for our leaders because they are constantly placing themselves in a place where the devil will go, I don't want that to happen. And our leaders need to be people of discernment.
and strength. So, so let's pray for them. Fifthly, and there are six points, by the way, just in case anybody's wondering just how many I'm going to go up to. <laughs> the judges show our need to turn back to God again and again and again. Sin, straying from God's path, has consequences. We see in the book of Judges a cycle, as I mentioned earlier, of rebellion, repentance, and restoration. And it hasn't really changed, has it? If we're all having a little honesty moment with ourselves. We are still as vulnerable to falling into sin and being sucked into the ways of the world around us. Possibly more. But, you know, you know, with the, the way the world saturates us. Um, but it damages us and often others around us. There really is nothing new under the sun, as the writer to Ecclesiastes said. And so I think there's a recognition coming out of this passage that we need to recognize those times when we have strayed, when we need to come back to God in repentance. And the good news is he will restore us. He will restore us. Jesus, the great judge, has brought us freedom from sin and a peace that passes all understanding. He was an unexpected saviour. Ehud uh, is maybe unexpected uh, for us in the way God works. But Jesus was an unexpected saviour. Not one the Israelites expected or wanted. They were expecting a military king. And it reminds us again, God's ways are not always our ways. And we should be very thankful for that. And finally, number six, God hears our cry and answers again and again. No matter how many times you or I fall, no matter how many times we fall short of what we could or should be as Christians, as God's children, God hears our cries and the joy is he answers again and again and again. He did, it, he did it for the Jews in Judges and he does it for us now. We have open access. There's a verse in Hebrews that says you can approach the throne of grace with boldness. Just religious language maybe for saying you can turn to God at any time. He will hear your cry and he will answer. Not to get his big pointy waggy finger out, but to restore you, to bring you back to the place he wants you to be in. So we have that open access. Let's use it.
And I say that to myself as much as to anyone, because I am good at beating myself up. And I came from a Christian background where the main thing we were reminded was we were all worthless sinners and worms and fell short of the glory of God. And somebody forgot to mention for a long time, oh, by the way, though, you can have rest, forgiveness and restoration. And that that is actually the place God wants us to be. So in a moment, um, we're going to move to a time of response uh, and ministry, uh, if, if that is something that you want. Um, maybe this is the first time you've heard God speak to you clearly. Well, the people of Israel took that opportunity to cry out to God, and he heard them. You have that opportunity now as well. Maybe your Christian walk has just drifted and drifted and you get to a point where you think, well, God's not going to have me back. Well, he will. And he wants to have you back. So again, there is that opportunity to come back. And there's opportunity for ministry uh, from the front or wherever you're sitting Especially, um, as I mentioned earlier on, if words spoken over you uh, or to you have left you with a millstone round your neck of just feeling unworthy, inferior, not good enough. None of those are in God's vocabulary. None of those are what God wants for you. So take the opportunity to have others pray with you. Um, and let's pray that God would bring you that release and release you into uh, everything that God wants to give you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for uh, so much that is in your word. And sometimes... These passages seem strange and they can, can be hard. But I pray that you would teach us by your spirit and you would bring release. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.